We're in Matthew chapter 7 today. Matthew chapter 7. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, It's so named just because the context starting in Matthew 5 says Jesus is on a mountain preaching. Some of the content is the same as what Luke calls the Sermon on the Plain. So there's all kinds of debate about whether it's two sermons, whether they're both kind of collecting pieces of Jesus' works and, and kind of putting them into sermons. And there's no real easy answer to any of those questions. Today, we're looking at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is, is getting very practical in his teaching. Talks a lot about worry, money, lust, divorce, loving your enemy, giving to the needy. The Lord's Prayer is in this, in this sermon, the golden rule, words about judging others. And here he comes to the end of the sermon to sort of wrap things up. And he gives us two little parables, although they're not parables the way we've kind of been talking about parables. We've been for a while now talking about the stories that Jesus told. But these parables aren't so much full stories, but they are sort of movie scenes. And so we're going to try to to look at them and, and, and pull something out of them. So we're in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21, and I'm going to read through 29. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, Do many mighty works in your name. Then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Then Jesus finished these sayings. The crowds were astonished at his teaching, for for he was teaching to them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Here ends the reading of God's word. So let's play the movie out a little bit. Jesus refers to this final judgment scene. So they're at the gates of heaven or somewhere in the afterlife where we are having to make an account for our work. And Jesus is uh, there and he's judging. And, And that in and of itself is a pretty major claim by Jesus, right? Jesus is claiming that when, we, when everybody gets judged at the end, I'm going to be there and I'm going to be the one judging. That's, that's pretty strong to even just kind of slide into a parable. That's a pretty big deal. Quite bold. Jesus said there will be good people that come and say, Lord, Lord. And he's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me. They're going to make the argument, Lord, we prophesied. We cast out demons. We did mighty works. We all did it in your name. But those harsh words, I never knew you, depart from me. Imagine being a good follower of Jesus and hearing those words. You're at heaven's gate and you're told that you are going to be eternally separated from God. 
Why then could they do these good things anyway? And how does one get known by God? We'll have to kind of parse these questions out. This for me is one of the scariest, probably the scariest passage in the entire Bible. Because think about these people who are saying this. They're saying, Lord, Lord. They're saying the religious things. They're doing all kinds of great things. How many of you have prophesied to somebody? Heard a message from the Lord that you passed on to somebody else? How many of you have cast out demons? Or done a healing or a mighty work? These are not just good Christians. Everybody hear me. These are exceptional Christians. These are ones doing these miraculous, crazy things. And you know what? There's no denial of it. I mean, you don't go into this text and see Jesus saying, no, you didn't. There's no, they did it. But notice they say that they did it. We did this. We did this. Maybe that's part of the problem. They're doing all these great spiritual things, but but they feel like it's them doing it, not God doing it through them. Which begs the question, why does God do it through them in the first place? Of course, God uses all kinds of secular things in his word, right? He uses kings that pay him no attention. He uses circumstances. He uses weather. He uses all kinds of things. Just because God is doing a great thing through you does not reflect how your relationship is with the Father, right? Just because God's using you and doing something great through you does not mean that everything's okay in your relationship with God. you got to pay attention to that because God can use anything, right? You've got to analyze a little bit. They say, Lord, Lord, they do Christian service and great works. But are they really doing the things that God wants them to do over the long haul? They prophesied things, but did they pray? They cast the devil out of others, but did they pay attention to the devil in them? They did marvels, but maybe not essentials. They can do miracles, but did they serve? Did they pray in secret? Did they have meekness? Did their hearts break for the wounds of others? I am terrified at the number of Presbyterians that might go before the Lord someday and say, Lord, didn't I show up most Sundays? Didn't I put some money in the offering plate? Wasn't I a liturgist and I did hospitality and I welcomed, I was a greeter. I served on the sessions and deacons. Lord, I did all these things in your name and I am terrified that some of the people that I know from church are going to hear the words, I never really knew you. I never really knew you. I worry as a pastor all the time that we do a good job of introducing people to the church but not introducing people to what's really essential. You got to know what's important. And at the end of your life is a pretty bad time to figure that out, right? Pastor Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who pastored in London in the 1800s, says this, One of the best tests of everything is how it will appear in the moment of death in the moment of resurrection, in the morning of resurrection, and at the day of judgment. When you die, how many of the things that we worry about and really care about are going to suddenly be meaningless? And how many things that we thought were meaningless or we thought we would get to them later, the day that we die, are going to suddenly be hugely important? God knew these people. He knew them. He knew the hairs on their head. 
But he had no relationship with them because they were doing all kinds of stuff for God, but not really doing things with God. And when Jesus looks at our lives, he doesn't just want to see some good things. He wants to see himself reflected back. Are you doing the work of becoming more Christ-like? But how, do you, how does that work? We need to flesh out a little bit how Christ knows us. And I think the next parable starts to open that up for us. So let's play the movie out. There's these two guys. One supposed to be representing the one who actually does what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. The other one is a person who doesn't do it. Maybe they hear the Sermon on the Mount, they hear the life they're supposed to live, but they don't actually do it. And the two go out to build a house. And they're looking for spots to build their house. One is wise. Whenever you hear that somebody's wise in the Scripture, that normally means it's a good guy, right? So the wise person finds rock to build their house on. And everybody, just really practically speaking, most, most of you have probably never built a house. Or you paid somebody else to build your house, but you didn't actually go build it. So, but in these days, you built your own house. Okay, so, so this is very familiar to them. So they go, he goes, and he builds on rock. Guess what? Rock is not easy to build on. Rock is not flat. It's uneven. And you've got to anchor your house somehow. So you're going to have to chip into that rock to somehow really anchor your house in the rock. It's going to be all uneven. So if you want a nice straight house, which is going to be more secure in weather, you're going to have to figure that out. You're going to have to measure it out. You're going to have to cut boards or whatever you're building your, your house out of. To, you've got to do a lot of work. It takes a lot of time to build on rock. It is much easier to build on sand. On sand, if you need a board a little bit lower to even out the house, you just dig a little bit and there it is. In fact, it'll kind of settle in the sand. It's a great place to build your house on a beautiful day. You can dig in very easily. You can level things out. It settles in. Great. Building on the sand is a lot faster. Probably if this story was actually like a movie, the person on the sand would be done and be sitting out in his lawn chair drinking a lemonade watching the person on the rock still figuring out the foundation but then the rains come and the flood comes and the wind beats against that house and the one that's in the rock that took longer to build stands but the one in the sand is obliterated text says great was the fall of it Bam, it explodes. It can't handle the pressure at all. You are building a house. Jesus in this text doesn't define the house really, but it's got to be more than your spiritual life. It's more than just your faith. Because all of Jesus' teachings that he's referring to here that you're supposed to be doing are all about real life. All about how you treat people, all about how you relate to your world, all about how you worry. It's more than your spiritual life. It's your whole life. You're building your life. So what are you building your house on? If you're wise, you're building your house on the things of God and doing the will of God. That is not glamorous. It is often a lot more work to build your life on that, particularly when the world says, get your house done fast. We've got great condos down here on the beach. Right? It's a lot more work to build your house in this God story. But when the storm comes, it doesn't work out. The, uh, the people in that first parable, they, they've got these great fancy houses, right? I mean, I've got, we've got miracles, we've got casting out demons, I'm prophesying, I'm doing all these great stuff. But Jesus says, you know, as big as your house is, as great as it is, 
It's not going to hold up because the foundation's not there. What builds your foundation is whether you do the words of Jesus. And I think in the Protestant and evangelical traditions, we've done a bad job. We've tried to stay so far away from works righteousness that we have failed to, to really say what the scripture says, which is your life better be different because of Jesus. There's a response that's necessary. And if you don't have the response and your life doesn't look different, then we've got to question the foundation of this house. Bad weather comes. And when the storms of life come, when winds and rains and floods happen, then your foundation is truly revealed. Houses are built in nice weather, right? You don't build houses when it's raining and storming and flooding. You, you can't do that. But they're built for bad weather. I know too many people that when things are going well, they don't really build their faith. They don't really develop it. If I'm at church, I'm at church. If I'm not, I'm not. If I'm going to pray, I pray. If I don't, I don't. It's not that big a deal. I just kind of live my life. Yes, I'm a Christian. But I can't tell you how many people I have walked with who have tragically lost someone or lost a job or when the floods start rising and when the pressure starts building, they don't have a faith they can rely on. It's like a muscle they haven't exercised and suddenly you're running a marathon and they're just not ready for it. The interesting thing about the storm metaphor is that in the very next chapter, Jesus is going to calm the storm in Matthew. Okay, one, of the, one of the metaphors that the storm represents in the Bible is God's judgment. That God judges sometimes with storms. He tests our faith. He rocks our foundations a little bit. He uses those floods and those life circumstances to say, where is your foundation really at? And ultimately, the judgment is portrayed as a, as a storm in the Bible. So when we talk about these guys, these people going before God in the ju final judgment, that is the ultimate storm. Except that's the storm that there's no second chances afterwards. You'd much rather get it right in the storms of this life. Because when that question happens, there will not be a second chance. So Jesus teaches this parable. It had to have gotten everybody worked up. They've been listening to Jesus for, for maybe quite a while, looking at the, the way that's laid out. And they're stunned. They're astonished, the text says. He teaches as one with authority. The, the reason that they say that, he teaches as one as authority and not as the scribes, because the scribes always taught with authority. The scribes always wanted to tell what other scribes had said before them. Who was your rabbi? Who was your master? Who was the one that you learned from? So they're always like quoting each other and quoting past rabbis. Jesus doesn't bother with that at all. He has the authority to just speak, to speak his own words. And of course he does. He is the rock. He is the foundation. And so we're stuck with these parables. And as parables so often do, they don't lend themselves to simple or tidy lessons. There are many things to think about here. That not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter. I find that to be a terrifying thought. That to be known by God, you have to have something in your life reflect back who Jesus was. You have to take action. You have to be able to see it in your life or you've really got to question whether you're in or not. You are building a foundation whenever you act in your life. 
You're coming off of some kind of basis. And if it's not Jesus, it's in trouble when storms come. Your foundation will be revealed in the storm. And always remember that Jesus will be the final judge, the final authority. I told you I think this is the scariest, one of the scariest passages in all the Bible. But I also think it's a passage of great hope. That the words, I never knew you, depart from me, don't have to be the final answer. That Jesus did come, and he did sacrifice himself, and he did pave the way for you to have a different kind of foundation in your life. But you've got to work on it. And you've got to be intentional about working on it on good days, because when the storms come, it's too late to work on it. When storms come, you ever been in those times in your life where you're just surviving? You just get through today. There's no building in those days. There's no building. You're, you're, you're living on whatever the foundation you built in the good days. You're just surviving at that point. And so you need to work on those things in good days. And guess what? That's what we're doing today. That's what we do as a church family. We get together and we sing We've prayed together today. We've offered each other peace, even though maybe not all of us are feeling a lot of peace right now. We've done a baptism and we are remembering our own. We're hearing God's word opened up to us. In this busy world, the church seems less and less important, but I think the church becomes even more important. Not that the church is the end in itself. You don't get in by just knowing and doing church. But it is a great way to lay the foundation to build your life around Christ. To live your life off of that foundation. So that when you get to that gate, the words won't be, I never knew you. The words will be, well done, my good and faithful servant. And you don't have to do prophecy to do that. You don't have to do miracles to do that. Can you love your neighbor today to do that? Can you do the little things, because that's where you really build your foundation. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your grace. That, Lord, though we have to come to you and we have to submit to you, you pay the price so that we can do that very thing. Speak to hearts in here that we would be challenged to deal with our life where we need to, And Lord, I pray that we would celebrate today as we have a meal downstairs, as we celebrate this baptism. Lord, I pray that we would get excited because here is a place where we really can build our foundation. Pray this in Jesus' name. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.